Welcome in everyone to a Monday edition of Locked On Knicks. So happy to be back here today. It's Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, myself, and we have a very special, special guest for you guys today. A return of one of our, I think, fan favorite guests that we've had in the last couple months. Mark Berman of the New York Post is here to drop some knowledge for us today. And we get into the NBA draft with Mark, whether or not R.J. Barrett was always the Knicks' number one option at three, how seriously the Knicks discussed trades, and then how the Kevin Durant injury affected the Knicks' plans for this summer and whether or not they're even the favorite for Kevin Durant. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. Count and one. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. Gavin and Alex here with you as per usual, but we have a very special guest today returning to the show. So thankful that he is because his last appearance was so great. Mark Berman of the New York Post. Mark, how are you today? Uh, Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Gavin, I enjoyed it last time. Ah, well, we're certainly glad that you enjoyed it because we we enjoyed it so much. It was one of our favorite shows we've done so far. Uh, but we'll skip all the small talk this time because there's so much stuff to get into. The draft just happened. Free agency is on the horizon. So we figured we'd start with the draft since that just happened last week. Uh, and I was kind of curious as far as the draft, was there any chance that the Knicks would take anyone other than R.J. Barrett if they remained at three or was it your impression that they had really locked into him, like for the the days, weeks, whatever before the draft, as as being their guy? Right. I mean, if you watch the press conference on uh, Friday, it made it sound like they were in on Barrett 100% from the moment the lottery reveal occurred. But that's not true. I think for a couple of weeks after the lottery, yeah, if they stayed at three, they would take Barrett. But they knew that there were trade-down opportunities, and they definitely considered them. I think it was noteworthy, and I've written about it, that R.J. Barrett came to visit on June 10th, spent two and a half days with the Knicks. That's a long visit. I've never heard of a visit that long for a draft kid. And I think Steve Mills needed to be 100% comfortable about RJ, I think there was some concerns about some of his skills translating uh, into the NBA. Listen, they know he's going to be a good NBA player, but at number three, you want an all-star. And I think the Knicks were, you know, needed to get a better feel. I think Scott Perry was all in on Barrett from the beginning. I think there were others in the organization that wondered about his skill set, but Steve Mills definitely fell in love with him during that two-and-a-half-day visit, even inviting him to his home to watch the NBA Finals with him and his wife, and maybe his kid was there, I'm not sure. But that two-and-a-half-day visit, late in the process on June 10th, is telling to me. 
Um, and, and there were certainly some rumors of other teams potentially trying to move up and strike a trade with the Knicks. Um, I know it was out there that the Hawks would maybe offer eight and 10. Um, there were some who thought uh, the Cavs were potentially interested in the third pick. Did the Knicks ever get particularly far down the road in these trade discussions or were they ever worried about another team maybe jumping them up to two or, or were they pretty set on staying at three throughout the process? No, I, I think that until that June 10th visit, I think that they you know, were on the phone and heard what they could get if they moved back, and there was consideration. And I know they like Jared Culver and Darius Garland. We're told that there's a couple of Knicks scouts who had Garland higher on his board than R.J. Barrett, but they obviously needed to work him out, and they finally got him the day before the draft when he's in New York anyway. But it, it wasn't like a slam dunk from the second the lottery unfolded that the Knicks were going to stay at three and take Barrett. Naturally, if Morant was falling to three, they would have done it. The Knicks, as we've reported from the day after the lottery, they had Morant higher on the board. So if Morant fell to three, I think the Knicks were not going to look to trade it. But as it looked like Memphis was going to take Morant, the Knicks were definitely all ears to see how many assets they could accumulate. So one of the more oddball reports on the night of the draft was that the Knicks were trying to go after Bull Bull, trying to maybe trade for a mid-first-round pick, something like that. And I'm not sure exactly how they would have been able to accomplish that anyway. And then Scott Perry, you know, laughed it off uh, when asked about it. I'm just kind of no, curious. He wasn't when, asked about it. He wasn't or, asked about it. Oh, he just he, laughed he, it he off. He didn't laugh it off. It, 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 no. It, from uh, reporting uh, and asking about it behind the scenes, the Knicks were not um, were not looking to move up for ball ball. They yeah. uh, they saw what a lot of other teams saw, or you know, from their research, that character is a big issue with Bobo, and he would be a gamble. I think the Knicks thought he'd definitely go in the first round, that there would be some team willing to take the gamble on a very talented big man, but, you know, he does have foot issues, but the Knicks weren't one of them. They are in a position where every single asset they attain, they must have a great feeling about. They're not looking to take any gambles. That's why Taco Fall fell off their radar after the workout. You know, they need someone they feel is a sure thing. And, you know, we haven't talked about the two guys they got, one in the second round and one uh, who fell out of the draft, and Chris Wilkes. I mean, they, they feel these guys are sure thing roster players. And Bull Bull was not on that list. I guess, like, so my, my line of uh... – thought with the bull bull thing though was was there any other like oddball things you heard on draft night that sort of you know any anything that anybody texted you or whatever that you know you were hearing at scuttlebutt or whatever just that the knicks were looking at that maybe didn't get reported well i mean it wasn't really a lot of interest for frank Nolakina. the knicks had made him available uh on draft night and but they wanted they didn't just want to give him away for cap space you know, they want a nice asset in return, so nothing came their way. But they were willing to move up from 55 to 47 because they thought uh, Brzezikas, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but Iggy 
from Michigan. They didn't think he was lasting to 55, so they didn't have to pay much money in the cash considerations, but they weren't going to sit at 55 and hope he fell. They made an aggressive play to move up to 47, and that, you know, that's important. I mean, like, right now, you know, we'll probably talk about free agency, but, like, that whole great scenario of they're going to fill up their cap space with two superstars, that's probably not happening. So these young pieces, they're playing the long game right now and collecting assets that they could put together in a trade maybe for a star, but they really liked the Michigan kid and they weren't going to risk him not falling to 55. And um, Mark, you just kind of hinted at it. Um, we wanted to get into free agency. Obviously, the Kevin Durant injury, the NBA event that is still sort of rippling throughout the league. I mean, implications far beyond the Knicks, but it, in some ways affected the Knicks perhaps more than any other team. Um, how, how do you think in the immediate aftermath of that, and I guess up to this point, that has shifted their approach to free agency? And I think the initial report was that um, there was some indecision on the Knicks side of whether or not they would still want to offer him a five-year max contract or maybe work out a sign-in trade with Golden State. Uh, where do you think they're at with all that now? Well, I think they're still very interested, but you could tell, like, there's not as much jubilation in that approach than there once was. I mean, the, the, the Kevin Durant as an asset has changed. Missing next season, coming back at age 32, where maybe that's a load management season where maybe you're restricting his minutes and games like Kawhi Leonard, who played 60 games, never played a back-to-back. But, you know, the the Knicks were very confident at some point uh, during the season that they were going to get Kevin, and Kevin was going to try to bring Kyrie. And, you know, now the whole concept of KD alone is – well, it's not going to do anything for next season, obviously, and it's a little bit of a risk. But the Knicks are desperate, and it's still their top plan to go after KD. They definitely feel they have a meeting set up with Kawhi, and Steve Mills knows the uncle uh, for many years. I mean, they're not close, but they are connected. They lived in South Orange, New Jersey together and used to ride the train into the city um, quite a bit. So. You know, they feel they'll at least have a chance to pitch Kawhi, but what are they pitching? Uh, Kawhi is right in the middle of his prime. Does he want to give up a whole season? Even if he, even if you say, listen, just wait a season and we got KD coming at age 32, it's just, you know, that, that whole scenario doesn't work for Kawhi because this is a prime year coming off a championship. You add Kawhi to this roster, I mean, like maybe it's in the eighth seed, but these young kids aren't ready. So the Knicks are looking more in the long, playing the long game uh, if they strike out with the very, very cream of the crop of free agency. Again, the Knicks are behind the scenes saying we're not giving max contracts to guys like D'Angelo Russell or Tobias Harris just because they're seeking them. They don't consider either of those guys to be franchise-changing superstars. Yeah, so there was there was a report uh, actually just came out today from uh, Rick Buecher at Bleacher Report saying that KD and Kyrie have been meeting consistently to try to you know determine plans together that they really do want to play together. 
There was uh, Brian Windhorst, the ESPN, last week, and Kendrick Perkins on a show mentioned that uh, Kyrie and KD might be seriously looking at Brooklyn now. Are you hearing anything to that effect, or do you think that the Knicks are still probably in decent shape, at least for Durant, if he was going to come to a New York team? No, I don't think they're in decent shape. I think they feel they feel they still have a shot at Kyrie, but you know they don't sound overly confident about either of them. Uh, yeah, the Brian Lewis wrote over the weekend that without a doubt, you know, KD is looking more toward Brooklyn because of Kyrie's urgings. It looks like Kyrie, you know, he. Why come to the Knicks without Durant for that first season and you're going to be 35 wins and all the pressure is going to be on him? I don't think he wants to deal with that. But in Brooklyn, you know, you got a better roster. And even if Kyrie comes in without KD for that first season, uh, you know, you're probably making the playoffs and building something that's more ready than what the Knicks have. Uh, but KD and Rich Kleiman, they know there's a big difference between the Knicks and Nets. The biggest stage is the Knicks. The Nets are still a sideshow uh, unless Kyrie feels he's so arrogant that he feels he could put the Nets back on the map. And they have gotten tremendous publicity over the last uh, month. I mean, their profile finally rising because there is just no traction in Brooklyn for too many years. It was, it was stunning. The Knicks were so down, and the Nets couldn't gain any fans. You know, they couldn't get the converts. And maybe if they make this score of KD and Kyrie, maybe there will be some Knicks fans uh, moving across the East River and starting to attend games at Barclays Center. And, and Mark, if the Knicks, um, and I don't know how feasible this is at this point, but if they did sign only Kevin Durant, in your opinion, would the best move be to immediately sort of start setting up an infrastructure there, sign some veterans, be as good as possible as you can be next season, and then just have a ready-made team for Durant to come into? Or or would the other option be just to sort of continue to let the young guys get a lot of minutes, get a lot of reps, and sort of tank your way into another top-five pick and have another talent or another trade asset to build around Kevin Durant? Yeah, you're right. I I got – the second thing you said sure. makes a lot more sense. <laughs> if you get KD uh, alone, I think you look at another tanking season, getting another high lottery pick. Uh, again, play all the young players. Let's be honest, that's all they have now. I mean, they they want to – listen, if they're not getting – if they're just getting KD, the rest of the cap space is going to go to one-year contract veteran players that they hope will – you know, have a nice influence on the young guys. But, listen, it, when you look at the roster now, you do have three prospects from the 2019 draft, you have three prospects from the 2018 draft, and you have three prospects, including Frank Nilakina from the 2017 draft. That's Frank, Damian, and Dennis Smith Jr. So that's nine guys. You know, young guys, all who can be very good players. The problem is, where's the all-star in that group? Knox could be an all-star. If Dennis Smith changes some of his mental makeup, maybe he could turn into an all-star. But there's no guy, and that's the problem with New Orleans when they decided 
when they told the Knicks you need a third team for an Anthony Davis trade, we don't see a top 15 player in your group of uh, young assets. So, but but again, I mean that's if they can't get if if they're only getting one star like KD, you know it's about the young players and then maybe packaging some of these young players in a trade uh, to fill in the rest of the cap space. So, Mark, I know you got uh, you got to go in a minute here, so we want to just end off on one last question with you. Uh, do you think the Knicks are prepared to just walk out of free agency with some veteran role players this year? Uh, I, I know you did mention in one article that their list of max-worthy players is a pretty short one, and I just feel like to fans especially, it's it's very important this year just to know that, like, the Knicks aren't going to go insane and spend money on people that might not not necessarily be worth it in the long term. So do, does, is your impression that they are genuinely invested in this idea of being smart with their money and not spending on someone that's not worth it if something doesn't manifest for them? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. I am surprised that Knicks fans are still okay with this turn of events, but I think Knicks fans at this point realize, listen, the Knicks medical staff did not put Kevin Durant out on the court for game five. Um, what's shocking to me is that the, the comment from Bob Myers, I haven't really written to this, but in that, that initial press conference at midnight or like 12.30 in the morning, Bob Myers actually said, yeah, well, when we put him out uh, on the court, well, like, we didn't realize like there would be any risk of an Achilles tear or anything. Well, that is the risk. I, it, it's shocking to me. I mean, I knew that even before from talking to someone in the uh, in the field that like when you have a, a torn calf, which he had, it was a partially torn calf, coming back too early compromises the Achilles, and that's the big fear. And for Bob Myers to be uh, – Talking like, oh, we didn't realize the the risk of the Achilles. I mean, that's malpractice, and I think Kevin is starting to realize from other medical people that he has talked to, including Dr. Martin O'Malley, who happens to work for the Nets, that, yeah, there is a risk of hurting your Achilles, and the Golden State Warriors probably should have known that. So, yeah, I mean, any any report that Kevin is a little concerned about their decision uh, is probably accurate. and But, listen, he could still go back to Golden State. And that scenario of signing, like, say you give him the five years with the agreement, if you're not happy, we'll trade you to where you want to go. I mean, that, that but, but that hurts the Knicks because then you got to give up a couple of assets for Kevin. Not, not actual value, but still, you know, you have to give up some assets. But uh, to your initial question, yeah, I think Knicks fans are okay if the if if the the organization says, listen, we need to play the long game and I think they realize that Durant's injury was not their fault and that was plan A. And I think that's why fans are a little more not as outraged if they get shut out of free agency, knowing that Durant injury uh had nothing to do with them. All right. Wow. Great note to end on. And, um, Mark, uh, before we send you out, I just, just wanted to check. Um, do, do you have anything to uh, promote um, a piece you wrote in the last week or is something coming up that people can look forward to? 
Uh, I wish I did have something to promote. No, just, I mean, we'll be writing daily about, you know, the Knicks goings on and the free agent targets. And, you know, we've written so much about Durant, Kyrie, even Kemba uh, and Kawhi, but there's other guys, you know, the Knicks need a power forward. <laughs> they don't They don't have a power forward on their roster, on the contract. Maybe they give a one-year deal to Vonley, like, a, you know, that's more than he's worth, but it's just one year. Uh, he was respectable until the, he kind of ran out of gas. I think he played too many minutes, never had played that many minutes, and he may have worn down in the end. But, yeah, no, just uh, keep following by the paper and go online, and we'll definitely have a lot of stuff on there. All right. Well, thank you so much again. This is, again, Mark Berman of the New York Post. Thanks so much for coming on, Mark. Really appreciate your time today. All right. I enjoyed it again. Thanks again, guys. All right, another great episode with Mark Berman of the New York Post. Alex, uh, that was that was pretty picture perfect. Um, he came in, dropped some fire, left, and uh, now we're just we're here to deal with the aftermath of it. Um, at least to me, um, the biggest thing to come out of this podcast was that um, I think the way you phrased it when we were talking about it, the, it doesn't seem like the Knicks are exceptionally bullish on their chances of getting Kevin Durant, which was surprising to me because I was sort of operating in the world that if the Knicks came to the consensus that, you know what, like guys of his caliber are just so rarely available and even a 31, 32-year-old version that might never be 100% himself again is still the number one option. And it does seem like they feel that way and they will throw him a max contract. But I was of the opinion that if the Knicks made that decision, they were still very, very likely to end up with Kevin Durant. And he seems to think that the Nets are the favorite for Kevin Durant. Yeah, it's it's starting to trend that way, at least. I mean, because now the reporting's starting to come out from Mark and otherwise that, you know, maybe Kyrie and KD are more of a package deal than we even thought possible. And then, you know, for a guy like Kyrie, the Nets, if, if you know, those two team up there, I mean, it does in some ways make more sense to go, at least from Kyrie's perspective, to the Nets first, because then they might still be competitive, Um this coming season and at least like make the playoffs or something, even with Durant on the shelf. Whereas if you came to the Knicks, that would be a little more of a question mark depending on who they filled the roster out with. But if you're paying both, you know, uh, Kyrie and KD max money, you're going to have limited resources to fill the roster out other than the young players that are already on the team. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that it seems to be trending that way. Uh, even just, even just like not from a KD perspective, I thought that it was interesting though that, you know, Mark just seems to be at least bracing himself for a world where the Knicks are not going to get any star free agents of any sort and are going to kind of have a, a pretty low-key summer and just kind of keep with the the plan of, you know, having these young players play and developing them, start working with R.J. Barrett, you know, and, and Mitchell Robinson and all those guys and, and maybe try to sign some good, you know, veteran role players for around them, but not much more than that. Um, it, it just seems like... I mean, I know he probably didn't want to lean too hard in one way or the other, but he seemed pretty um, ready for that possibility, I guess would be the way I would put it. Yeah, and I, I do I do like the idea, like initially, like I've, I've gone back and forth on this, like from a personal perspective, a few times this season, but just that the Knicks are willing to be patient and not spend max money on guys like D'Angelo Russell and Tobias Harris, and, and just because a guy perceives himself as a max player, and, and maybe, I mean, I, I guess rightfully, like the only thing you need to perceive yourself as a max player is for literally one team in the NBA 
um, be willing to give you max money. So that's fair for those guys' parts. But I, I like that the Knicks, um, at least internally, aren't going to let other teams dictate their market for guys, and they're going to make an assessment on their own. And if those guys don't sort of hit the mark that they want, then they're just not going to go above a certain amount of money. And I, I do I, – I just – I appreciate that in the sense, and this is something that's obviously been talked about quite a bit, but just in how different that is from past um, Knicks regimes. Uh, the other really interesting thing to come out of this podcast was that there was some dissension on the R.J. Barrett pick, and, and maybe by draft night everyone was sort of on the same page and there was agreement, but he, he specifically noted that some of the Knicks scouts, um, like myself, so I feel a little vindicated um, depending on who those scouts are, um, had Darius Garland higher than R.J. Barrett on their board, and, and he specifically noted it wasn't until June 10th when the Knicks um, essentially had like a two-and-a-half-day meeting with Barrett. Um, Barrett, I think he said, went over to Steve Perry's house and like met his family. And, and at that point, they were really, really sold on him. But I, I just thought that was interesting that it was really Perry who was sort of driving the R.J. Barrett train. And it seemed like there, there was clearly some amount of consensus, certainly by draft time, but not everyone was on the same page with the R.J. Barrett pick, which is, is seemed to be the idea the Knicks were pushing out there. Yeah, I don't think it was – I think it was Steve Mills's house that he went over to. Right, Mark had yeah. actually written a little story about that. But, yeah, he'd gone over there to watch a finals game uh, at the Mills household and, you know, spent time with, with Steve and his wife and, and whatever, you know, watching uh, the finals game and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it, it was interesting, though. I do think – and, you know, he mentioned Culver as well, who obviously we had talked about a ton on the show. Um it's it was just kind of some interesting tidbits there. I I do think though it, it is funny because right around that time was when things really did seem to start getting locked in, like in the media coverage about Barrett. So maybe the Knicks, you know, kind of let it be known a little bit that you know that like we've really vetted this kid now and we really feel good about him because um, some of the you know the trade scenarios and stuff came up and you know the rumors about that and then obviously they had Garland in for that last minute workout but it seemed I mean at least to me for the at least the last week before the draft that it seemed more or less like unless the Knicks got blown away they were going to take RJ Barrett at three um because that just seemed to be the way that that the top guys wanted it to go so um but yeah it was interesting just to kind of learn that that maybe they weren't quite, it wasn't quite as much of a home run to them as maybe it seemed on the surface for the whole time ever since the draft lottery. Yeah, and we probably, we, we don't totally need to relitigate this because we've, we've pretty much done two full podcasts on this, but just sort of like one more stake in the heart. I, mean, I know, Alex, this is something that you did a lot of reading on. I think you mentioned in our initial podcast, but for me, like I was, I was always of like, I don't know, maybe like a little bit like too trusting, but I, I was always of the opinion in terms of Kevin Durant's injury. Like, you know, like they, I assume like they like told him there was, um, there was some level of risk or like he, he did that research on his own, but then it like it came out like that there was like that quote from Bob Myers and like Steve Kerr that they didn't think there was any risk of re-injury. Like Mark like specifically mentioned, I mean, talking to people in the field and you can obviously like, this is something you can, you can do your own research on. Everyone can sort of be their own doctor, but, but just the idea that like, I think you mentioned um, the Nets team doctor specifically, who I think did Kevin's surgery um, noting that, yeah, like, I mean, with like a pretty significant calf tear, there is an increased risk of an Achilles tear as well and and again that was something like not not breaking news but just one tough to hit here and two like my my first thought which, which I mentioned to you when we were discussing this Alex was I'm just like I'm stunned on like 
KD side of this? Like, if this is literally something you can you can Google online, like how how does no one in his camp, like the people paid like specifically to look out to him? And and I guess we, we don't know if this happened. Like maybe there were people saying like, hey man, don't play, don't risk it. But just the the idea that like his like like Rich Kleinman like let him go out there is and, and like again like if, if he was set on going out there like as people talked about, no one's gonna stop him. Um, I'm, I'm going in circles now, but it, it's just like the whole thing is just so wild to me. And it really, I mean, it, the the effects of it are could couldn't be more clear after this podcast when you talk about the idea that like, I mean, Tyree maybe would have preferred the Nets regardless, but I mean, specifically because of the fact that like he can actually be competitive with them next year without Durant, like that just fully drives home how crushing this was for the Knicks. Yeah, truly. And, you know, the the whole injury thing isn't like, I don't know, that wasn't like a huge revelation to me, like when, you know, it was first getting revealed, like, oh, yeah, like a calf strain definitely puts more strain on your Achilles because that's kind of just like sports medicine 101 um, and just like body 101, I guess. You know, if, if you have one part that's compromised, especially as a high level athlete, uh, you know, other parts of your body are going to have to step up to, you know, accommodate that because you're going to be avoid like in Durant's case, he would have been avoiding doing things that, that, you know, put a lot of strain on his calf by, you know, not consciously, but his body will then, you know, distribute that pressure elsewhere to try to, you know, protect that calf muscle. And in that case, it was putting that extra pressure on a hard cut onto the Achilles tendon, which then snapped it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> We don't have to relitigate the whole thing. Yeah, I don't want yeah. to relitigate because it it still makes me angry. And we had one of our more uh, one of our more NSFW pods about this already. But uh, yeah, it's it, it sucks, and it did really. It does seem like that one single event that probably could have been avoided uh, because it seemed like the Warriors probably would have lost the series anyway at that point. Um, you know, it it just kind of fully change the course of things for the Knicks, even if I don't want to look at it that way, because I, I care more about the fact that it, that it harmed Kevin Durant's career, but still it does, it did kind of, you know, seem like it, it uh, single-handedly threw a big wrench into the Knicks plans for this coming uh, off season. But so at any on rate, that happy note. <laughs> yeah, on that happy note. So we can, we can get going. Thanks so much again, though, to Mark Berman. Uh, of the New York Post. We we're so glad to have him back. Hopefully, you know, the second time of many, many times that we'll be able to have him on because he's been a great guest. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, we will catch up with you guys probably at least a couple more times this week. So keep an ear out for that. But until next time, have a good week and peace out.